podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good evening, and we start this week with more breaking news yet again as a Tory finally faces consequences in the UK. And no, I'm not talking the Dean Sahawi and his cosy horses. I'm talking, of course, about fat Frankie Lampard as he's shown the door from Goodison Park. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian part. As always, my name is Rory and I'm joined by who I need to give credit to, Andy. How are we doing, Andy? I am well, thank you. Uh, how are you, Matt, I ask? <laughs> I am fantastic. Thanks for asking. And of course, we are joined by Adam. Hello, Rory. How are we? I think I'm getting the vibes that you are very excited for this particular live stream. <laughs> I don't know why it is. Maybe it's something that happened yesterday, but I'm life sure can't get much better that. at the minute. I'll be honest. <laughs> life really can't get much better. I just, I'm just trying to enjoy every second of it. I just, I don't care where it's going. I'm just enjoying what's happening right now. But we're not going to get onto that yet. I need to ask you guys how were your weekends, Andy? What did you get up to this weekend? Not that yeah. bit. But what else did you get up to? <laughs> Not that much, to be fair. I was doing a bit of dog sitting this for usual. Um, <laughs> obviously, watching a little bit of football, caught some championship football. Um, nice. So, yeah, I caught the Sunderland and Middlesbrough game Oof. yesterday. Um, yeah, I mean, it's where two places where dreams go to die, but the football match was actually all right, to be <laughs> it fair. Looked, <laughs> it looked grim. It looked so cold <laughs> up there, man. It looked so cold. But yeah, other than that, all good. And like I said, up until um, yesterday afternoon, around about six o'clock, it was all fine. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Adam, how was your weekend? You've been a little bit annoyed at Joey Barton, I think. Yeah. That's not hard. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> what's what's he done? Very hard. What's he done now? Uh, well, uh, Andy, uh, it's, it seems a bit of a conspiracy moment with Wickham fans at the moment because um, the game against uh, Bristol Rovers was postponed due to, believe it or not, a waterlogged pitch, which I kind of tried to say to Rory, it was very cold. So how did that get kind of called off a waterlogged pitch as opposed to a frozen pitch? So hence the conspiracy theory is, Andy, they had seven defenders out for the potential match. You make your own oh, conclusions. Is this there. like is this like Arsenal with their COVID call offs again? Very similar. So good old Joey. Good Four old Joey. D chess. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Joey Barton, I think you guys po- I think you posted it, Adam, was like there's Joey Barton mugs. Yes, going for only nine pounds. So uh treat yourself it's to a Joey Barton. Somebody woke somebody woke up one morning and went you know what I really want to do is make a Joey Barton mug. And no, that went through meetings, Andy. That went through like multiple people <laughs> being like, we need to plan it. We need to design it. Is it going to sell? That takes a lot of people. It like, takes a lot it, of people. Is it to drink out of or hit people with? It? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Depends on his mood, I think, head. doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not shatterproof. It's not shatterproof. <laughs> yeah. So, welcome to the show. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking. There's a lot to go, but we're going to be talking Serie A, of course, with plus Valencia. Juventus should have plus Valencia themselves a new goalkeeper as they shipped three <laughs> uh, to Atalanta. We're going to discuss the scenes there and what it means for the league. We're going to talk Torino getting a historical win in Florence. You will not believe how long it's been since they won at that stadium. We're going to talk um, Roma, Tammy Abraham hitting a bit of form. 
Dybala finding his way in the team. And of course, we're going to talk Napoli as they professionally get the job done against a pretty disappointing Salernitana. Up in the Premier League, of course, we're going to be talking about the scenes at the Emirates Stadium. But elsewhere, we're going to be talking about a lot of nil-nils, quite a lot of nil-nils this weekend, guys. But there was West Ham giving a last kick to their arch nemesis, Lampard, as they beat them 2-0. Man City, Haaland is awake again as they sweep past Wolves 3-0. And maybe a bit of time on Leicester 2, Brighton 2. I think that was quite an entertaining game. Um, so, that's everything, guys, I think. I think so. Let's that is everything. We will see you after this break. What a break. I feel so refreshed. Here we are. And we are ready to talk Serie A. So, Adam, I'm going to let you kick us off with Serie A. Where are we starting first? I think we can only start in one place, and that is Juventus versus Atalanta. I think that was the game of the weekend, and for more than one reason, right? So, we've got the plus Valencia aspect to cover off as well. But if we talk about the game itself, Atalanta looks incredible. But as I shared on the WhatsApp group, I couldn't really work out if it was because Juventus were deliberately being shit themselves. Um, Wojciech Szczesny is back to Wojciech Szczesny self. You're so happy. That was so poor. That was so poor. I don't know if that was more depressing than Fernando Santos being made the Polish national coach, but we'll uh, leave that for a minute. Um, but Juventus did kind of bring themselves back into this match. It has to be said, the combination of Milik and Di Maria seem really on fire at the moment. They seem mm-hmm. to be doing really well. And it wasn't their combination that got the penalty, but what was a nice touch was Milik actually giving Di Maria the chance to score from the spot, which was very evident by the celebrations that they are loving life at the moment. Mm-hmm. Them two in particular, they seem to be striking a really good partnership. And then we have to have a word for Fajoli because that, kind of cross-field, you know, box, pass, cross, I don't know how you call it, but essentially very well-timed cross into the box Mm -hmm. and Milik was on the end of it. So 2-1, really kind of looking comfortable for Juventus, but straight from the off in the second half, Atalanta brings themselves back into it. Mela finishing off a really good passing move by Mm -hmm. Atalanta, and then literally no more than five minutes later, Atalanta take the lead. Lookman again with the goal here, scoring from a cross from the far left-hand side. And you're thinking, wow, Atalanta could do more here. And on occasions, they were very unlucky. The way their midfield were basically doing 360s past the midfield of Juventus, um, it was mesmerising. And if it wasn't for a debatable free kick decision, which kind of let, Juventus back into this match because Danilo, you have to hand it very good goal, you know, from a free kick. It looks like Di Maria was going to take it. But that aside, I thought, yeah, Juventus looked pretty poor on the night. Um, Probably, you know, kind of mirroring the crowds, like the attendance as well. There was a lot of empty seats. I know they've been all cancelling their subscriptions (laughs) with Sky, but I don't think they were meant to cancel their season ticket subscriptions either. But (laughs) yeah, it it was an interesting night. It has to be said, I thought Atalanta were unlucky. I I do will caveat this by saying Atalanta for the last five minutes were pretty much hanging on for that Mm -hmm. point. But it's understandable given the golf in terms of quality between the two sides. But 
good point for Atalanta, who've been in good form. Uh, special word for Hoyland as well. He's a player that looks incredible. That link-up play with Lukman looks really good. Um, Rory, I'll pass it on to you. What, what did you make of the game itself? It was absolutely wild. There was like five minutes, of, well, not even that, like 20 minutes where the game just seemed mm. like complete chaos. There was no shape, no discipline. It was just two teams running full pace at each other. Absolutely fascinating. I was just counting up the goals. In the last three games for Atalanta, there's now been 23 goals, which is just, <laughs> we've truly got our old Atalanta back. It felt like that kind of exciting, vivacious attack that we were used to seeing. And then that yeah. reckless, mad defending that, again, we're used to seeing. There's a moment where Demiral just decided to backheel it for no reason, <laughs> where there was no one on at all. Um there was like zero discipline in the performance, except in the attacking movements where you saw those beautiful, quick, like razor sharp attacks from Atlanta. Mm. I think Juve, they really like, it seemed like in the game, they came into this with like the bit in their teeth, if you know what I mean. They'd, ha mm. they'd had that kick by the league, right? Of like the 15 points deduction. There was no point, there was no way they were going to go out and just roll over even when they went three two down i think on our whatsapp group i was like boys they're still gonna win this like they had a point to prove mm. and i think even getting a point here they have kind of proven that point that like yeah. look we're not just gonna bend over and let this like kind of 15 point deduction define our season i thought it was a really impressive performance from juventus when the game was very capable of getting away from them um yeah for atalanta you're right hoyland and luckman that partnership they have just looks really really mm. exciting um they're kind of getting a little three together again like yeah we have with zapata muriel and like you're mm. kind of getting that three together um and yeah really really incredible game incredible game i think it was uh, one of those another kind of bullet to our arsenal of people who just assume italian football's boring it's still the most goalsiest league in europe i'm pretty sure at this point <laughs> and games like that happen and it's just yes. i absolutely love it i absolutely love it um but for juventus super professional like hard four and the old players the older players are the ones that get them into it you kind of alluded to it Milik and Di Maria by mm. far they're kind of um best performers I would yeah. say like Andy what have you made of Di Maria's kind of remontada under Juve or at Juve and Milik has been like a smash for like a free signing right yeah, I think the, I think well, both of them um, have arrived, you know, cheaply in terms of transfer fees, or at least what that's what mm. you base accountants tell us. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what to believe at the moment. But no, I think um, you know, Di Maria especially, he's been their most consistent player all season, um, I would argue. And also, you know, it's the same for PSG as well. He very di very direct, even though he's getting into his thirties, he's still got a wicked turn of pace on him um as well and i think with military as well i think observed him over the past couple of years i think what we're seeing now is him getting an injury free run where you just play football matches he's got a manager who's got faith in him he you know he's starting starting every week um and, and the goal he scored that like the technique that is that you don't score that kind of goal unless you're feeling confident in what you're doing um mm. You know, take it first on the hard volley. So, yeah, mm. it's, they've obviously got a really good understanding between them as well. Um, I think that free kick was one of those off the training ground kind of cliche. Mm. Nice to see, yeah. especially when Definitely. they cut off anyway. But it feels like um, you've got the bit between their teeth. I think the crowds are obviously angry about the um, the 15-point deduction. 
um, not necessarily angry about the, the fact they did it in the first place. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that's a fair point. no but they seem to be more angry that they've been punished more harshly than they expected to be. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah um, well, I think it, that's as good a time as any to move on to this thing. I think it's like it's weird because I think they've not been punished that heavily. Like when this first came out, now I know like when stories like this break, everyone's like, oh, the world's ending, the club's going to be folded. But I thought, I think like Serie B was a genuine possibility. I thought mm. it could actually be like, you know, that was not off the table. So I think the punishment hasn't been too heavy. I think what their gripe is, and I think it's probably fair to an extent, is that they've been punished straight away when there's other teams being investigated that haven't been punished yet. And I can kind of see that as a Juve fan, you might be like, oh, fuck's sake, it's always us that gets punished. It is always you cheating as well, that needs to be said. But <laughs> it is them that gets like punished first and they would they would say hardest because they're the biggest club in Italy and everybody hates them, right? Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that there are other teams being investigated now. Now, I remember back in the first season of doing this pod, I think, when Men joined Napoli, me and Tommy were talking about it. And I said, there's something weird about this Men deal because they've sent this guy to Lille, who I have no idea who he is. And he's now just playing in like the fourth division of Italy. He was there for like six months and then just sodded off. There is... There are other clubs involved in this, and it was—it's mm. such an Italian thing, like of just financial crime is like a national—it's <laughs> the national sport behind football, <laughs> like it's so Italian. But there are other clubs being investigated here, so I think Juve fans are right to feel annoyed to an extent that they are mm. the only ones that have been punished so far. I'm trying to be balanced on a pod that usually hates Juve, um, but they are always the worst culprits and they are always the ones that do it. Like Adam, you've been looking at it a little bit more, like what other teams are being investigated? What can we, what are we seeing kind of unfold here? I mean, it's difficult to kind of not instigate Juventus when you look at the hard facts. So there were 62 transfers in total that were antagonized, 59, including Juventus players. So that goes a (laughs) long way to show you why Juventus are implicated in this kind of deduction at the moment. But the likes, as you allude to, Napoli are one of them. You have also got AC Milan instigated Mm -hmm. in this as well. There are a few lower kind of clubs, one being mentioned with Sampdoria as well, who we know financially have been struggling yeah. as well. Um, but with Juventus, this isn't like the end of it. There is a separate case yeah. going on and this is all related to... Uh, basically, it's kind of made or mentioned as salary manoeuvres. So the deferrals during COVID, obviously instigated an opportunity it seems like and Juventus's board at the time decided that they would do some creative accounting as Andy alludes to which at the moment it's being told that could be a further points deduction on top of this so regardless of whether this is fair because I'm expecting Juventus to appeal against this purely on the grounds that there's no formal structure to the way that the FIGC gave this deduction because the Mm -hmm. initial recommendation was minus nine points. So the league has decided essentially to put more points on top of Juventus. This is why Juventus feel there is an injustice against them. Um, But as you say, there's eight clubs in total 
being alluded to this kind of financial irregularities with transfers. The problem we've got, though, is its interpretation of a player's valuation. Now, mm -hmm. there could be grounds for these clubs to kind of say, including Juventus, that at the time they showed this amount of promise, which is no different to say X player yeah, who we I got have, in. So I have seen that kind of, well, everyone says a player's value is what the club decides it is. If we decide that player's value is that, then that's his value. Yeah. And that's kind of, yes, I suppose you're right. Like, if I don't know why Zaha is coming into my head, but if Palace decide that Zaha is worth 70 million, he's worth 70 million because that's what they're going to exactly. accept, right? So it's kind of like I understand what they're kind of the point they're trying to make. I just don't think it's necessarily they know what they're doing when they're yeah. making that point. Yeah, exactly. But I think with the league now, and Andy, I'm going to kind of throw this over to you. Now, like Serie A, I was so, so sure that Serie A was becoming the second best league in Europe. Right, I was like, you got the Premier League, and then you got Serie A in terms of entertainment, in terms of reputation, in terms of like competitiveness, in terms of like it was getting more interesting than La Liga. It's more interesting than Liga, and like more interesting than Bundesliga. I thought it was really making a step up. Does this completely ruin all the progress that Serie A has made over over the last few years? Because I think a lot of people who aren't Serie A fans now, which is what Serie A are trying to appeal to them, they're now going to go, oh, that league's just crooked like it's always been. Yeah, I think I think the entertainment part of it will still be there. I think the difficulty is in attracting new fans, mm -hmm. and um, you know, you're hearing a lot of, sort of I've seen reports from uh, you know Italian CEOs basically going, "The Premier League is killing us" and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's because we market ourselves better in England. Yeah. That's yeah, the main yeah, difference. Yeah. But you know, mm -hmm. aside from that, no, I think the. The games will be as entertaining. I think um, a lot of the Italian clubs have adjusted their model to buy young and up-and-coming talent and mix it with experienced faces rather than trying to pay over the odds. I'm looking at you, AC Milan, for past it. You know, past it has been in years gone by. Um, and I think they're changing that slowly. So that, as a result, you want to see young and up-and-coming players and that makes the league a bit more entertaining. So... From an an entertainment package, I, I think that'll still be there. But yeah, there is obviously going to be a level where people just go, oh, "Here we go, not this, not this again." Mm. Um, but it, I think it's fair to say that um, you, you can't tell me that it's only Italian clubs that are involved. No. in doing what they're That's doing it. it's very easy to go oh it's italy it's all crooked and things like that well bear in mind you know manchester city have had a three-year investigation by the Premier league which we still don't know what the outcome of is yet yeah. you know that's and they've had to essentially report that you know there's um the spanish clubs Barcelona, you know, who are prone to some creative accounting, some of that <laughs> in conjunction with Juventus. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be dangerous for, to go all holier than thou and just say it's an Italian thing because, like I said, during COVID, so many clubs were exposed. They're bad, the bad running of their clubs were exposed. You know, when mm. you're at a point where you could run out of money so quickly. That's why Juventus obviously decided to do the move where they said, oh, the players are giving up four months worth of wages, which actually was only one. But because of the wage bill that they've got, it made like a £120 million difference mm -hmm. to the booked. And you can't tell me other clubs didn't think of that and go, you know what, we'll do the same sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I think there's a lot more to come out of it. And um, I think the other side of things as well, I think UEFA, um, now that the judgment has been made against Juventus, UEFA might get involved in this as well because they cleared Juventus from any sort of financial fair play, um, you know, issues because they Juventus essentially presented evidence to say this is what we've done to offset the wages. Now that's proven to be completely false. I think um, even in the scenario that Juve do qualify for some form of European football this season, which isn't out of mm-hmm. out, out of the realms of possibility, they could still find themselves in trouble there. But no, I think. Um, if anything, I think it shows that Italian football are willing to conf- confront the hard truths. Mm. People running mm-hmm. it are, you know, are were willing to go. Yeah, you know what? This has happened. We're going to deal with it. And you know, I f- we think with Juventus fans, they can't really argue because your whole board does not resign for shits and giggles <laughs> in the middle of a season <laughs> if, if they've done, done nothing wrong. wrong. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should we all? Should we all just quit? That'd be fun, <laughs> wouldn't it? Like Should they won't just, just sat. They won't just sat in the pub one day and just wait. You know, you know what? I can't, I'm going to sack it in tomorrow. Like. <laughs> You know, they 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 knew the writing was on the wall well before this judgment came along. Mm-hmm. And for themselves as individuals, um, you know, if Italian prosecutors from a criminal perspective decide to take things further, then it's still far from far from over. Well, this is an interesting point that you raise. Like the individuals are still like the 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 bans that have been handed down. So Paratici, uh, um at Spurs, mm. <laughs> he's currently banned. I forgot from about him. Football. Yeah, yeah, he's currently been banned from Italian football for thirty months. But that is due to, or it's being looked at whether UEFA and FIFA are going to spread that ban so it's across, and it will be affecting English football as well. And therefore, he'll mm. have to leave his seat at Tottenham. Um, Adam, where do you expect this? Like, Agnelli is, is disappearing now. We're not going to see him for a very long time. No. Nope. But do you expect this to kind of make its ways, make its way across English shores? I, I think there's a distinct possibility that this could happen. I think Spurs are very nervous at this very moment mm. because they don't really know. And I think the interesting thing that I heard um, from James Horncastle was um, certainly there's a perception of... Uh, did Paratici do anything after he left Juventus? Because if you remember, it was a month later that he joined Spurs. Mm-hmm. In that time, he's got the likes of Bentancourt and Kulusevski, which yeah. at the time was quite a high fee, if you remember. There was a low Romero, right? Plus, yeah. So Romero was slightly, ever so slightly different. But yeah, I, I think the high fees involved there kind of may kind of strike that conspiracy theories. And I think th- this is the other thing is the trust element. You know, Spurs are... I suppose traditionally very conservative when it comes to transfer dealings. They like to keep things in house, don't let on in terms of transfer dealings. This could really change that dynamic and trust element. And I suppose Daniel Levy has a big like decision to make whether he gets mm-hmm. rid of someone that he thought could bring them the dynamic of attracting the big talent. It's already on, on losing pressure as it is. This is yeah. it. This is it. I mean, they haven't signed anyone in this window. They were planning to make a few. Whether that actually happens, I mean, there's also the news of Conte definitely leaving by the likes of DiMarzo. So, I mean, 
whether that like carries through, I don't know. It's just oh, such a mess for Spurs at this moment. It's all is it's all caving in around their ears. It's all caving in around their ears. What do you think um, Conte's putting a call to his lawyers? Like you know, because obviously, if you think about when he was at Inter, uh, their owners due to the financial troubles they had in um, mm. with, with Sun, I think the Sun Sunning, yeah, Sunning. Yeah, it would it would be interesting because Conte was at Juve for so long alongside Agnelli. <laughs> oh, sorry, I don't know who that was. Was that me? And, and he just yeah. came in and out. Oh, sorry. Um, no, but I think it's quite interesting with Conte because he was at Juventus for such a long time along Agnelli, alongside Agnelli. It'll be interesting to see how historical these transfers are and if he was involved because Conte has been involved in um, illegal activities in football in the past, so it wouldn't. <laughs> be the first time um but i think we're going to leave the plus valencia thing there for now mm. we will keep you updated on it um trust me or trust us it's definitely not over there's going to be so much more coming out of this um that we were going to be talking about it for a very long time but next up um adam which game are we going to next in Serie A? I think we'll get your game out of the way which is fiorentina versus torino because we've got history being made by torino haven't we Rory? Just as it's all falling apart for Juve, I just wanted to very quickly say this because the the record blew my mind. The last time Torino won in Florence was 1976. The commentator said, I was like, that can't be right. That cannot be right. And I like, check, (laughs) went to like 11 versus 11. I was like, Oh no, bloody hell. My dad was 16 years old the last time Torino (laughs) beat Fiorentina in Florence. Um, I thought this game was like, it wasn't a thriller, but I no. found it really interesting. I think it was two teams that I haven't watched much of this year. Like I've kind of been no. distracted by the top of the league or the bottom of the league. And they're kind of floating around in the middle. And I thought, I'm going to watch this. And what I was really impressed with, with Torino, I just want to shout out, Sec had an unbelievable game. Mm. Um, Miranchuk from, they brought in from Atlanta was yeah. fantastic. Richie, in midfield. Now, mm. he was at Empoli last year and he was getting loads of um, attention. Arsenal were linked to him and I, there was a few clubs looking at him. I thought, this guy is pretty exciting. It's the first mm. time I've watched him at Torino properly. Unbelievable performance in midfield. And the player that kind of never really got a chance at West Ham, Vlasic. Every time yeah. I see him, he looks really good. And I was like, just a little bit confused as to why he never really... West Ham bought him in and then just thought, no, we don't mm-hmm. really fancy him. It was really odd, that one. They could do with more attacking options at the minute. And this guy is having a pretty good season for Torino. I thought it was just a really... It was a good performance. They had their backs to the wall for a bit. But yes. as always, Fiorentina, zero cutting edge. Just nothing. I think Icone came the closest, maybe yeah. had a few chances. Um Again, a promising player, exciting player, just not got that finish in him. And mm. I just felt like Italiano, Vincenzo Italiano is really fighting an uphill battle there at the minute. There's just It's not clicking in the final third. But Torino got a massive win. I think Juric has got them playing nice football as yes. well. They play some nice football at times. And I thought it was really just an enjoyable win. So I wanted to give Torino a shout out because that record, I needed to crowbar it into the show somewhere. It just blew yeah. my mind. Um, but we're going to move on to the bigger kind of headline, I'm going to say, I think. Um, should we go to Roma? Um, yes. Roma 2, Spezia nil. Take us through it, Adam. Yeah, so I think the main highlight here was just watching Dybala, Abraham and El Sharari here uh, striking up a really good combination at the moment. So we've talked about last week about 
Dybala and Abraham being the catalyst against Fiorentina. Well, today, or should I say yesterday, was the um, combination of them two plus El Sharari. So in the first half, Dybala neatly kind of gets on the end of a Tammy Abraham flick on and then sets up El Sharari for tapping. And then in the second half, he kind of flicks it on for Tammy Abraham, who kind of walks through and nicely slots it past Dragovsky in the Spezia goal. Um, all I would say is a professional kind of game by Roma. They did really well. There's a few opportunities that maybe Abraham could have taken. He could have done a lot more. But I think you're starting to see more of a clinical edge with Roma at the moment. They seem to be doing really well. One other call-out I want to kind of make out is um, Zalewski on that left-hand side. Now, traditionally, he's been kind of deployed anywhere between that left-hand left hand side, so up top as well as being like a left-back. He seems really comfortable on that left-hand side, you know, coming in, doing a little bit weight weavy runs at times, and he caused Bezier's problems. And I'm starting to see that bit more of a confidence in Zalewski, so I'm thinking, you know, this kind of season might be the season where we start to see him progress a little bit more. And maybe next season, you might see an even better player with Zalewski, especially with the tutelage of like your Pellegrini, for example, and Mourinho by his side. I think there could be an exciting player there. Um, but that said, yeah, especially are no walkovers. They're, mm -hmm. they're not, you know, they're, although they are in that mix at the bottom, they are a good side. Obviously, they sold to you guys, Jakob Kivo. Um, so yeah, we did mention that there was a reason why he wasn't playing last week. It was. And that I was why. I didn't but, yeah. see Arsenal be in the club, I'll be honest. I was surprised no. by that one. I was really was... it came out of nowhere, it felt yes, um... it did. Yeah, and, and they're automatically going to Poland for another player. Um, plays for Piaskalovica, uh, Ariel Mosar. So he sounds like he's the replacement for Kivo. Nice. Um, so again, Spezia, something about a Polish shop. They're just getting all the <laughs> Polish talent at the moment. Um, but yet again, Roma, plaudits for them. And they've really put in a bit more of an effort in the second half of the season. And you could see them maybe break through to the top four. I don't know. What, what do you think, Rory? Well, they're currently, now they're in the top four. They've got three wins in their last five. Um, and yeah, they're kind of putting a bit of form together. The whole thing's mm -hmm. opened up now because of Juve, of course. Everyone just kind of found themselves one place higher than they were previously. But I think... Roma have definitely got a shout this year. And I think Lazio, we've talked about how inconsistent they are. The biggest threat is going to be Atalanta, who are rising now. Mm. I think, as we've said, 23 goals like in conceded and scored, right? But still, in three games is a lot. They are definitely clicking. I think they're going to be the biggest um, the biggest threat to Roma, really. But they should be... I think Mourinho is definitely going to be using that as like, look, this is an opportunity, boys. This isn't going yeah. to happen again. Juve were ahead of us. Now we've got a chance. We have to do this. I think if they back him in the in January a little bit and they kind of maybe shore up that defense a little yeah. bit, maybe get some um, kind of a bit more reinforcement in midfield. I think in midfield at the time, it can look a little bit lightweight, especially like, you know, they brought in Wijnaldum. He's not been able to play. Mm -hmm. If they can get Mourinho a few reinforcements, then they can definitely push. But it's good. I like Roma. It's good to see them doing well a little bit because um, usually they're such a pain in the arse. Um, and then the last Serie A game, I think we're going to talk about last one. Yeah. Um, Salernitana nil, Napoli 
two. Osimen gets his 13th goal of the season. Um, Di Lorenzo, who's also in my Fanta Calcio team, scores <laughs> a beautiful run at the back post to smash it into the top mm. corner. That guy's like super underrated as a wing back. I really think he's like, yeah. people are starting to notice him now. I think in the Italy national team, he's been doing really well. Mm. I think mean, now in this Napoli team, like, if Napoli win anything this year, the hardest thing is for them for them is going to be to keep hold of any of these players. But I think people are starting to look at him. He's an incredible wing back. Um, and Osman, yeah, beautiful goal. The goal that was yeah. disallowed was an unbelievable Oof. finish. Now, how he absolutely battered it between the goal uh, between Ochoa yeah. and the near post was just was an unbelievable finish. Unbelievable finish. The atmosphere was a bit weird in this game because Napoli fans were banned mm. from going to the stadium <laughs> because this is a derby where they fucking hate each other and they never play each other, so they really take the opportunity to scrap. So the op- the, the atmosphere was really weird because the Salernitana fans knew that they were going to lose pretty much, mm. especially when the first goal went in. And then when Napoli scored, there was just like dead silence. But I think Salernitana, yeah. it was a really really disappointing performance. There was no fight in it whatsoever. There was no real moments of peril for Napoli, not really. No. They kind of just managed their way through it. The second the second goal went in, they were like, okay, should we just call it just now? Cash like, your it day. Really cash your day. The office for them, really. Training yeah, day, yeah. yeah, it was... Oh. It was really not good watching for them. I tell you what, every week, though, I'm looking at Osimhen, and every single week, he seems to find himself at the back post free as a bird. Mad. Every single yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bit, it's a bit like, with, it's a bit like with Harland. Like, surely you, surely somebody, stick someone with going, him. Is someone going to notice, the, you know, the big guy standing yeah, at the back the seven post? seven foot bloke behind him. He's got a mask as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah. You know the manager's gone there before the game, right? Mark him, stay on him, keep an eye on him. And he's just there at the back post. It's just, um, it's just, yeah, it's just the basic intelligence of that number nine that, yeah. you know, you don't, it's a bit like when I used to watch the likes of Van Nisseroy when I was like a teenager. It's just that, mm. that knack of just being in the right place at the right time and you cannot teach that. And mm. it's, it's stuff like that, you know, because you get all the lazy pundits talk about, you know, pace and power and all that jazz. But at the end of the day, like, what's going to make him succeed if he ever moves to England in the future is little little things like that. It's just being in the right space he all can read of the, the time. Yeah, yeah, he can very read good the game at reading it so well. Um, and I think the fact that he's a threat like everywhere like you said aerially his first touch is insane he's able to volley he's got pace he's strong he's brave he's not like he kind of feels like that on football manager the complete forward right yeah do everything and he can he can pass he can play he's just an unbelievable striker and i thought when he came from Lille to napoli despite how dodgy the deal may or may not be i thought napoli are doing incredible business here because they are getting him before his price triples and like if if he's been linked to united right united are kind of looking at him or kane and they're kind of weighing up get Osman. don't bother with kane jesus christ Osman has got so much more potential it just get Osman. but napoli are going to be looking at 150 160 million for that guy easily like mm. easily, so I think Napoli have done such good business bringing him in, and that's their business model at the moment. It will be the same with Kvala when he eventually yeah. moves for pastures new, right? But before or while he's still at the club, they've got one of the best strikers in the world. Like, 
it's him, Haaland, and Kane in the conversation as like the best strikers. If you know what I mean, Lewandowski, he's in that bracket. Mm. Um, and he's already got 13 goals in Serie A. No, no one's really close to him for the Capo Canonieri. I think he's going to get it if he continues yeah. like this. Um, and touch wood, Napoli fans aren't going to like me for saying this, but he seems to have put his injury woes behind him. Again, touch wood. I'm touching <laughs> wood to get for you, Napoli. For six weeks I know, now, yeah. He's in my fantasy fault. culture. I'm going to be gutted if he's injured as well because my season's done. Um, but we're going to leave the Serie A there. I think that's everything. Elsewhere, um, just very quickly to go through the results, um, Sassuolo and Monza drew one all um, in Sassuolo are properly in trouble now. Um, mm. Verona won 2-0 against Lecce. And we wanted to talk about this very quickly, actually, Adam. The gap at the bottom of the table, it's all it, Sassuolo and Salernitana being sucked in? I, I think so. I think so at the moment. And it's just down to the way they're playing. I think they're just far too open at the back. It's letting them kind of lose these games quite easily and the lights of your Veronas are obviously pulling mm. themselves out of it. I think there is still that kind of gap with Cremonese in terms of their performances yeah. of late. We, we, yeah. And Sampdoria, I mean, we'll talk about it briefly. They were so unlucky against Udinese. Mm. Typical Sampdoria fashion, they missed two sitters and then they just let literally Udinese go through the back door and score with three mm -hmm. minutes before the end of the match. So typical luck for Sampdoria, but they just haven't got the quality. So no. I think the bottom two are pretty much cemented. It's just going to be a case of who joins them. Um, Verona, they're starting to get some form. And Doig, again, fantastic performance. He set up one of the goals. Um, mm -hmm. I, I thought they didn't have enough quality, but they clearly do. So it could be that it's one of those three that goes down this season. It's going to be tenser than we thought. Elsewhere, live as we speak, Milan Skriniar, after confirming that he's leaving for PSG, has just been sent off against Empoli. Um, <laughs> I, I, miss, I missed him going to PSG. Is that free it's, it's all but or? confirmed, right? It's all but confirmed. I think it's um, it comes off the back of last week's announcement that he's rejected the contract from Inter Milan, even though Inter Milan officials felt that they were very confident that he was going to stay. PSG have been sniffing around him. It's going to be a question of does Inter kind of sell him in this window and get the most for their money, which could be basically not a lot or let him go on a free, I think they'll be sensible to try and get some sort of money because Inter just don't have any funds just in general. But they were talking about Scalvini basically coming in from Atalanta. But wow. the problem is they don't have the funds potentially no. to do a deal unless they do a Juventus-style transfer. <laughs> I to get cannot see this happening. Sort it That's it. That's <laughs> it. After this 30-month ban, right? You'll <laughs> so. be waiting a while. You'll be waiting a while. Yes. But Skriniar is not going to be a popular man in the half of Milan this evening. He'll be very popular on the other side. Um, we are going to take a very quick break, listeners, viewers, and we will see you for Premier League action we finally were there after this. Hi, I'm David Wheeler, and you're listening to the Anglo-Italian podcast. Here we are, the final part of the show. It's Premier League time, and we're going to have to start with your defence is in trouble, and Ketia in the room. He's getting goals against the big boys now. He's got 13 goals in his last 13 starts at the Emirates, and... 
before we go on about the game, just very quickly, I was so worried about Gabriel Jesus being injured. And Ketia has fully stepped up. It's been insane. Um, Andy, let's talk about the game from a United point of view. Um, I've actually got some praise for United. I was genuinely impressed with a lot of the players. Um, how did you see the game? I thought it was a fantastic game, actually. Like, you know, obviously I'm disappointed with the result, mm-hmm. but it felt going into the game that both United and Arsenal for to be competing in a Premier League match where there's a lot at stake for both teams. How it has not been the case for years. I think the last time I remember both teams competing at that kind of level was like roughly 2008 2010 yeah yeah that kind you know that was the last time uh, both teams were really going at it at the high end of the table and i think what the football match that you saw were two teams that were both fully expected to go out there and get the win mm-hmm. now um obviously with manchester united are a little bit short-handed at the moment obviously with um that ten that hasty arranged Crystal Palace game, which fans are given like ten days notice for. The, I think, in my personal view, it was a mistake to play Casemiro. Um, yeah. Inevitably, he got a yellow card for the most important game this season, um, and the obviously the replacement Scott McTominay. And I think, unfortunately, what we saw that when you could when you, when he's brought up against the likes of Odegaard you know, Xhaka, Partey, and even in his own squad, uh, mm. the likes of Ericsson and Fernandez, he is a boy amongst men, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. was the kind of game where he, he, you don't need a disruptor. You need someone who's calm under pressure mm. and could play the ball. And I think that's unfortunately what Manchester United lacked a lot, a little bit. Obviously, you've got mm. um, Martin Martial, who's semi-permanently injured. Yeah, and then well, Weghorst, who I feel they haven't quite learned how to use yet. I think yeah, he was a bit anonymous. I felt he just walked around looking a bit angry. That's all I really. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, he did make some good interceptions and a couple of layoffs, and I think you know there were look there were there obviously me being optimistic. There were signs that Mm -hmm. if you could get him involved in the game a little bit more and use his assets, we'll get a bit more out of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll, it was a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, that Rashford goal was one, oh, one of the goals of the season. I mean, the it, way that he he that took... absolutely had Ben White. Like Ben White could not handle him at all. And I think, like we talked about it on the WhatsApp group, Arteta dragging him at halftime was the best thing because I thought United are just going to keep running at that wing. Like Ben White has been fantastic all season. That was not a good performance from him. But he's coming up against one of the informed wingers in the world in form of in the form of Rashford. That finish was unbelievable. And how good is it for you to see him just hitting that level again? Because I'm enjoying it and I don't like United. <laughs> like... No, I think it's fantastic. I mean I've got to admit, like when when with the events over the past year, because he had obviously a poor World Cup, he missed a penalty. Shortly, this is going back to obviously 2021. Mm-hmm. He had an absolute stinker in the Europa League final against Villarreal. And then obviously last season was a collective stinker, but he especially yeah, yeah. was like three or four league goals he got in the end. And a lot of people are thinking, you know what, he's got a year left of his con- year or two left of his contract. It might be worth maybe him moving on. Maybe he needs a fresh start elsewhere. But Whatever he's done with the new manager coming in, he's obviously developed mm. a rapport with it and he's got back to playing great football. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I said, an, unfo- an informed Marcus Rashford is one of the best wingers out there. Yeah. And I think what Ten Hag has done quite early doors has identified he is the left winger. 
keep him there every game that you can and he will cause absolute havoc and that's what he's done Um, and I think could be a huge asset to United from now towards the end of the season Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah I'm absolutely yeah he's going to be like anything anything United do this year and I think there's going to be like like you're going to be third I think is where you're going to finish it's going to be through him like it's yeah. going to be like he's going to be that focal point he's going to be that player like when we were struggling Saka was that one thing where we were like right that guy is just if we can give him the ball he'll do something yeah and I think like obviously you've got a bit more quality added to that squad now and you can see the level of that squad has risen but Rashford is still that one that's like the rest of the squad need to get to yeah his and level. I think yeah, and I think as much as there's been improvements in the squad, you know, if you look at centre-back, we've gone from Maguire and Lindelof yeah, uh, yeah. to Martinez and Varane. That's an upgrade. Martinez was unbelievable yesterday. Yeah, he was I mean, so he, good. he's a fantastic defender. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, you know, although we've paid like 43 and a bit million for him, I think he's going to prove every bit worth oh, money. God. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You know, there was I that last ditch it... tackle on Xhaka, which was just yeah. perfectly timed, like unbelievably timed. So dangerous to do in the box. Juan Bissaka had a, a similar one as well, where I was like, Jesus. And then he got the ball. But I think well, Martinez is so good at timing those like barreling tackles. He's, he's, yeah. He's and a and very that, good defender. yeah. And I think, uh, so yeah, there were some positives there. And I think when you look with uh, Thierry and Ray, of all people, summed it up mm-hmm. really, really well. But Arteta's three years into a project, you know, he's learnt the hard way. I think it's fair yeah, to say yeah, on some yeah. occasions, I think he's tested the patience of his board on more than a few occasions. But he, you know, he got he got the bad eggs out of the team. He's he got he started to get players that he wants that suit the club philosophy and what you're seeing as a result of that. Same thing with Manchester United. Unfortunately, Eric Ten Hag has only had one window and a mm. pending takeover. <laughs> to deal yeah, with. yeah, yeah, no, so, that's true. That's true. I think that's restricted a lot there. And I think you, when you look at the likes of um, McTominay, I hate to pick on him, he's a lovely fella, but he's not the sort of player that's going to be that should be started the teams no. who aspire to be where Manchester United are. I, I know, think, yeah, I know he's an academy lad and he gives 100%. He doesn't talk shit to the media. He's one of those players you absolutely love to have in your squad, but you know. There shouldn't be that much of a drop off between Casemiro and what comes after him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of think he's like Rob because I think Arsenal and United have gone through the same process. So I keep comparing them, but I think he's like Rob Holding, right? Rob Holding is going to be leaving Arsenal, and I'm gutted he's going to be leaving because I love Rob Holding. I love him as a person. I think he's come and he's been key in moments, but he's not quite good enough to where we are now. And I think McTominay is kind of at that point. I understand why United fans would absolutely love him. Like you said, he's an academy lad. He's like, dies for the club. I think we were talking about him. In the box, in both boxes, he's pretty good. It's the space in between that he yeah. looks like a kid <laughs> lost on a school trip where you're like, yeah. Scott, what are you doing, man? Like, there's, so stay, many, yeah, like, there's so many times where he lost possession needlessly. And I think, uh, but either way, I think the biggest villain in that match has got to be David De Gea. Like, I know he pulls off a wonder saves yeah. every single week, but the, the thing he's failed at, and this has been for years, this is not just the Arsenal game, it's the absolute fundamental basics of goalkeeping. Like, <laughs> Ten Hag wants to play out the back. He wants his he wants his defenders to be comfortable. So what happens is David De Gea, who's not comfortable with the ball at his feet, passes to his full-back, who's not, not comfortable. <laughs> yeah. 
And that kind of leads up to the second goal. Don't get me wrong, it was a quality bit of play from Arsenal. Yeah. There's things like there was another one where ball was up in the air, not many people around him. All he had to do was just go catch. Yeah. Instead, he decides to punch it. And I think um, a lot of fans have started to see the light. So when you look at the keepers, like, you know, even like Ramsdale, Pickford, and you, above that category, you've got. Yeah. Like Edison, Allison, Edison, and, that, yeah. and you, you look at it to here, like in terms of what you want, you want someone to command the box, play well with your feet. That's what's required for the modern goalkeeper. And yeah, I wouldn't yeah. even put it apart from shot stopping, where I'd have him in the top two. Mm-hmm. Every other aspect of his game, I wouldn't even have him a top half. And he's on yeah, like yeah, yeah. grand a week. So I, well, think I it, have seen that he's willing to reduce his wage demand. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I bet you are because they're not I, keeping you. <laughs> Like, yeah, I bet, I bet on Monday his agent was like, well, I think it was his comments before the game, which... Um, oh, man. Which, um, what was it? Something of the lines of, I've got nothing left to prove. And I'm like, there's only, said... the only... play. There's only a very few select players that could get away with saying that without sounding arrogant. Lionel Messi being one of them. He yes. has completed football. He is yeah, the yeah. best they'll ever be in his position. And De Gea's not got that status. Like In that other... same interview, he also said Alex Ferguson and the guy from Arsenal. And all the Arsenal fans were tweeting De Gea, just like, his name's Arsene Wenger. <laughs> like, it was <laughs> Arsene Wenger. He did not come across well in that interview. He did not come across well. Probably why he doesn't do many interviews, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't see much of him. You don't see much of him. That's fair. probably why. <laughs> but what I thought for United was, yeah, Thierry Henry summed it up perfectly. You're at the beginning of this process. I think Ten Hag is, like, a fucking brilliant manager. He's a brilliant manager. Tactically, he's very, very good. I thought... United, when you look at the stats of the game, it looks like Arsenal absolutely battered you. Like, there was 25 shots. We had 63 touches in the box, which is a record for the season um, of all teams. Um, It looks like it was an absolute battering. But I think the game was really close. I think United, like, genuinely, when they did attack, it was... I was worried, right? And I think I kind of got the Juventus vibes of, and bear with me, that when when United attack, they make those attacks dangerous. And that's what you need to do when you're not able to create or you're not at a point where you're creating lots of chances. You have yeah. to make sure that the chances you have are dangerous. I'm going to kind of hijack the conversation now and talk about Arsenal. I just want to talk about, there's only one man I'm going to talk about, and it's Zinchenko. I just cannot believe that man. Um, the fact that he's like, he obviously fucking loves the club. Like he said, when he joined Man City, he was close to joining Arsenal, but it didn't happen. He was an Arsenal fan growing up. You can see how much it means to him, like by screaming at the end of that game, like just the absolute raw emotion of him. He's playing a position that just revolutionizes everything we do. And if you look at his heat map and his touch map, he was all over the pitch. No one had more touches than him in the 90 minutes. His passing range is incredible. And I think he just, he's a, he's a player, he's not a player I've seen before. I've not seen a player like him before. Someone that's so good defensively. He's short, like Martinez, but mm-hmm. able to head. He wins aerial duels. So height isn't about everything. It's timing as well, right? He wins his aerial duels. One-on-one, he's very good. And he was up against Anthony, who is a dangerous winger, although I think 100 million was too much. He's a dangerous winger. But Zinchenko had that 
he, he had the balls to take him on one-on-one and even go past him with the ball. Like, so he's technically good enough, defensively good enough, and he can play midfield. His football intelligence is insane. Like, when he he has the ball and you think, okay, he's going to play it there. And then he sees a pass that no one else sees and just opens the game up completely. I thought without him, that game, we do not even have half the chances, half the threat that we had yesterday. Um, I think he's just... I can't believe Man City sold him to us and how he wasn't. Mm. They didn't see how good he could be because now what City did against Wolves was invert their wing back and try to play him like Zinchenko. And you're like, no, you had him. You gave him to us. Like, so it, it seems mad. I felt like he wasn't. Yeah, I think with Zinchenko, maybe be part of us with the Arsenal connection. But I think there's nothing. I think for a player will you always get like 10, an extra 10 15 percent out of a player mm-hmm. who knows he's on his first name on the team yeah. sheet every yeah, week yeah. he's wanted and i think with manchester city i think they could feel quite impersonal as a club uh mm-hmm. you just you're just another player you're, you're not like the main man and i think maybe like the fact he's got a bit of love and knows he's one of the main men at arsenal i think that does give you does mm-hmm. elevate your game a little bit no, I think that's I think that's absolutely fair. And I think he's like I love Kieran Tierney. He's not getting anywhere near that starting eleven now as long as mm. as long as Zinchenko's fit. It's just Tierney is not able to play that position. He's not that player. He's not able to do that role. Like, and I feel gutted for Tierney. And again, it looks like we could sell him, and I'll be absolutely gutted if Tierney leaves. But Zinchenko has just completely changed that role and how the team plays. I think our versatility in how we play as well is just it's we're able to change systems mid-game and make decisions as an 11 and with Arteta screaming from the touchline, but make formational shifts mid-game and kind of change on how the game's flowing. And I feel like there's this team intelligence at the moment that's really, really... I think like, Arteta, I think Arteta needs to pipe down a little bit. Though, oh, man, I love it. Say. He was always like that. He was always like that. People only give a shit now that we're top. When we were 12th, he was doing exactly the same shit and nobody mm-hmm. said anything. The only reason that people are talking about now is because Richard Keyes has decided to get on his soapbox. Yeah. And that's the only, he's always done it. I, if I, if I, if it was a rival manager, it might wind me up, but he's been doing it the whole time. People only give a shit now because we're top. Honestly, it's just ridiculous. Um, he got booked. That was Richard Keyes that got him booked as well. By the way, <laughs> There's no way he's getting booked if Richard Keyes isn't banging on about it. Um, but while we're talking about Arteta, we kind of alluded to it, the Ben White substitution for Tommy Asu. Rashford absolutely had Ben White on toast the entire game. Um, Tommy Asu, again, one, one-on-one defending. He's kept Salah quiet playing left-back <laughs> against Liverpool. And I think Arsenal did also kind of double up in the second half against Rashford. They were like, we, if we can keep him quiet, then I think we're okay. But I thought Tommy Asu was fantastic and offered a forward threat. Just also need to talk about Bakayo Saka. He's the best right winger in the league. At the moment, there is not a right winger who's even close to him. He is just the best right winger in the league. It, the, Luke Shaw has trained with him on England camp and they know each other very, very well. He could not figure him out. And I think there's the, the defenders now, they, they're scared of him. So they drop off, which gives Saka the space for him to run at him. And it's like... He, he is he's the best winger in the league and he's absolutely killing it. He could have got two goals. The third the, the goal he did get was absolutely stunning. And I just I, I was watching the game and I was just like, 
I can't believe he's come through our academy. It just feels like sheer luck. It feels like, I know we've trained him and coached him, but it, it feels like sometimes you get a bit of luck. And a player like that coming through our academy is incredible. Um, and at the core of this team is the academy. You've got Enketia coming in, who everybody was saying did not deserve the number 14 shirt. It was an insult to Thierry Omri. How can we give this guy the number 14 shirt? Yeah, I didn't agree with any of it. I did didn't think he's as good as he's been. I'll be honest. I was worried about him coming into the team, but the way Arteta has coached him, he's doing the Gabriel Jesus role. He's he, like, even against Tottenham, he didn't score, but he was doing everything else. He was pressing, he was winning the ball. He was dropping deep. He was linking play. Like how Arteta has just rounded his game. So he's not just that poacher. He's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And I'm so happy to see him get the two goals. This is like the greatest game of his career. It's the biggest moment of his career. And like knowing through interviews or whatever, how much it means to him. It's just, I love it when the stadium chants his name because so many Arsenal fans have just called him shit for so long. And you can just see that he's just like, he wants to give the middle finger to everyone, but he's just absolutely loving it. And it's just, it was an incredible performance. We, it felt like the win was the kind of, it was just the, that mental push. Cause I think the two all, I would have taken a draw at that point. I was like, yeah, fine. That's just, yeah, I would point. have done. <laughs> we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, at, we're at, you know, we'll be three points ahead of city, whatever it is. That's fine. I'll take it. We've got a game in hand, but the team just pushed. And my last word on it as well is the Andrew Trossard came on and was fantastic. So I am, very excited about him. Just his technical ability is insane. And if we'd have had him against Newcastle, I think we would have won that game, but we didn't have the options. Um, so we're going to, like, that was, it was good to see United and Arsenal duking it out again towards the top. Not like two drunks fighting in a pub car park. <laughs> lost their keys. It was kind of nice to see that. But there were other games in the Premier League, would you believe it? And we are going to talk about them. Um Andy, I'm going to bring you in. Shall we talk about which other game was exciting in the Premier League? West Ham 2, Everton 0. We need to talk yeah. about Frankie, right? Yeah, Frankie's got fired. Uh, you might as well go to Hollywood now. Uh, <laughs> it's sorry, the only place that will hire him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that was terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, I think, um, I think a tweet um, summed it up. I can't remember who it was by, but when you've lost like 11 out of 13 games, you're still not the biggest problem at the club. I think shows the absolute sorry state that Everton in. They, you know, I think with Lampard, I think he did all right initially to get the fans on board. He tried to make the most out of what he had. Um, and even at the start of the season, by bringing in Tarkovsky and Cody, it felt like there was... A few months ago, there's a bit of uh, momentum building, a bit of something you could fall back on. Uh, but I think with Everton, and I think a lot of the problems with Lampard, I mean, we're saying on the WhatsApp group, you know, he can't coach a defence. That's been, that's been shown, you know, for a few seasons in his managerial career now. He seems to have issues connecting with players or getting the most out of them, you know, on a personal level. I think there's lots of rumours of that at, um, at Chelsea. And even with, you know, even with a failed experiment with the likes of Deli Alley, there seems to be some issue there with his skills around, um, you know, man, proper man management, yeah. getting the most out of these kind of players. When you consider who he's worked with in the past, it seems surprising. I think it's fair to yeah, say, yeah. but you know, you live and you learn. Um, and I think, um, yeah, and I think he's just been in a position where 
he is not a relegation manager. He's, you know, really well, he well. Well, what I mean by that, <laughs> I'll re- he I'll by re- definition is, I think. Okay, I'll, I'll rephrase that. Like, there's certain managers, I'll give you Sean Dyche as an example. He is the kind of character um, that you need in that dressing room to get okay. yourself up for relegation. Yeah. When you've got, you know, when your backs are to the wall, you're getting battered every week. You need someone to come in and go, right, let's get back to basics, yeah, yeah, training, yeah. ground coaching, you know, just doing the basics really, really well and then work on the other stuff later. And as a manager and in terms of how he, Frank Lampard sees football that's not his game he wants to play mm. out the back play through the lines and you know that is an admirable approach I think you know you can see he did that when he was at um, Derby he, he did integrate that at Chelsea uh, before it all went belly up with when, when they spent the money so it's not all bad but yeah I think mm. what he wanted to do the Everton team I think wasn't suitable for what they had no. at the time and I think the Everton board have got a lot to answer for well, we're going to like jump on, and Adam, I'm going to bring you in. You've been quiet for a while. Sorry, we kind of got carried away. But That's right. the, with Everton, as, as, as Andy kind of alluded to, Lampard isn't really the problem. Whatever manager they bring in, there are still going to be problems. Where do mm-hmm. Everton go from here apart from down? Uh, I mean, there's so many things that you have to improve at Everton Avenue. So it's... The structure, it's the personnel. It, it, they just need stability. It's almost mm-hmm. like you have to start afresh with that team and that club. Um, there's a core of the fans that really hate the board at the moment, um, and this despite the money that they have spent. Because you know you have to remember that they are building a new stadium. And obviously that needs paying. It's not going to be cheap, especially in these financial times. Um, but equally, there has been some really poor decisions when you think about just not even this season, but over the course of, say, the last 10 years. And I'm thinking as far back as when Martinez was still at the club. Yeah. And you think about the kind of personnel they had at the club versus now the quality has dropped off. Mm-hmm. The amount of funds, you know, if we're talking about Awobi you guys got 30 million for him when no one else was really going <laughs> yeah, to bid that absolutely out. robbed him. They I love Alex Awobi, but fucking hell, that this was mugging. It. It's that yeah. kind of aspect of where was the forward thinking there? And there was even an interesting debate on the Football Extra podcast, which talks about um, you know the types of manager that you kind of look at Everton they've had over that time and they've explored every probably type of manager apart from a Nagelsmann type of manager they've gone through the transitions of every star so they've given everything a chance but it just hasn't clicked um so yeah brutally honest there's too many signings there that have been signed in by different managers mixed in you just don't have a coherent kind of style and you don't have like a culture going on so when you think Delhi Ali's still got to come back as well, that's quite depressing in <laughs> itself for like Everton fans. So the pain is there and I feel mm. for them, but equally they just need a clean slate, remove every element. It might do them well going into the championship, but then you don't it's really f- want to be there because you think about the clubs that have been relegated, they're struggling to get back yeah. up. Like your likes of Norwich's, they didn't really do very well this season. It's a tight league as well. Every club there is gunning for you. Every like attendance that you get, 
the crowd is going to be on your back. Yeah. The moment they have some bad runs, that's it. So they really need to stay up. My only man to suggest is Big Duncan Ferguson. He's a guy that will buy time for the board, but he will also instill that kind of Everton ethos. Whether he'll get the backing is another thing, but I think he will genuinely get the best out of the players that they've got. The likes of Calvin mm-hmm. Lewin hasn't scored, for example. Anthony Gordon will need to put in some performances if he wants to leave that place. Um, so there's a number of players there that really, I suppose, would benefit from Big Duncan being there. And I think he's the only one that I could really say, apart from Sean Dyche, as potential candidates. I I, I don't yeah. believe Bielsa. I, I can't see him coming over. I, there's going to be so many play or managers being linked with the role, but I can't see it. So it's between those two. Yeah, I'm just looking through the Everton managers. So since David Moyes, it's mad. They've had eleven. <laughs> they've had eleven managers. Ten because Duncan Ferguson's been in charge twice. So they've been. They've had yeah. ten managers. Now David Moyes managed 516 games. Right, Roberto Martinez 140. Right, so he was there for a good while, three seasons. The highest number of games since Martinez is. 60 games, no, 67 games for Ancelotti. You've got Benitez, 22 games. Frank Lampard, 43. Sam Allardyce, 26. Ronald Koeman, 58. Like, it's just all just from one fire to another. It's just from one kind of, oh, that's not working. Right, uh, next one. Right, next experiment. And there's no, like, if I go through the names just super quickly, you've got Martinez, David Unsworth on a caretaker. Koeman, Allardyce, Silver, Ferguson, Ancelotti, Benitez, Ferguson again, and Frank Lampard. Like, there's no clear idea there. You can see no. when they when they were really up against it when Sam Allardyce came in. But I think Marco Silva, even his record wasn't that bad. You look at it now: sixty games, twenty-four wins, twelve losses. Um, no, twelve draws, twenty-four losses. It's not bad. Compare that with like Frank Lampard: twelve wins, eight mm. draws, and twenty-three losses. Like. It seemed like even when they did have managers that maybe weren't doing that badly, they went, no, not good enough, next one, and then just didn't think about it. Like, it's just how not to run a football club by Farhad Mashiri, unfortunately. Um, And Lampard is the latest um, casualty. I think it's going to be a while before we see him in a management job again. I think this could actually, Mm -hmm. his reputation is going to be knocked a little bit. The only clubs that are going to come in for him are championship clubs. And I think Frankie sees himself as too good for the championship. So it could be interesting to see how long he's out of the game. He might have to eat some humble pie. I said, I said it on our WhatsApp group. I do wonder who's advising him because going to Everton in the stage of his career that he was at, there was no win scenario out of going to Everton. You've got no money to spend. You're going to have to sell your best players. You're going to be the, if you get out of last season's relegation battle, you're going to get involved in this season's one. I mean, this old Richarlison, we've got uh, Dwight McNeil, who's a tidy player, but doesn't score any goals. He's fine. Um, yeah. Neil Mope, who's an angry player, who doesn't <laughs> score many goals. Yeah. <laughs> I um, forgot he was at Everton. I exactly. Yeah. Was to be fair, I expected him to do better than he has done, because he did get double figures in a couple of seasons at Brighton, but yeah. he's, been a, he's, been, he's been an absolute shit show, if you're being completely honest. Mm. And, I forgot he was there. Christ alive. Yeah. I just don't really see you could do that. But I think with Everton fans, I think the biggest common denominator I think they see is Bill Kenwright. He was mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. He seems to be the constant. And there's been a few, I think a few articles in The Athletic and The Guardian where they've essentially said that 
both Assyria and Ken might have been allowed to be led astray by, you know, unscrupulous agents. They pay some ridiculous fees, some average players never to be seen again. And mm. um, yeah, I think without, I know, a bit like we see the Arsenal and Manchester United, and the same with Everton, until they sort out upstairs, yeah. nothing yeah. to improve on the pitch. And if it takes a relegation from Mishiri to realise that changes are needed, then... I just fear he has no footballing knowledge. I fear that he honestly has... He's a businessman and he's not brought in people around him who are good enough. I think that's what it... Like like you said, the people... But I think he doesn't even know what good enough means. He doesn't know what the people should be doing. Like, I thought when Arsenal's owners, like the Cronkies, were just not giving a shit because they didn't own the club, they had these awful people in charge. But when they took over, they went, right, we know what what it looks like to know this industry what people should be doing we know that we just know them we need them to do it whereas and it's like whereas with the Everton owners I don't even know if the guy came up and slapped him in the face if he'd know that guy knew football I think it just feels so clueless and it feels so just completely lost I feel really bad for Everton fans because I think I can only see them going one way honestly I think even Sean Dyche at this point, or even Sam Allardyce, isn't keeping you up. I think, now we'll see, famous last words, Arsenal are going to have the new manager bounce in two weeks' time. So I look forward to going to Goodison then. But um, I think they're, they're really, really, really in trouble. And they've just, West Ham are not great. West Ham are not a functioning team. And Everton, <laughs> did, Everton did not get close to them. They didn't lay a glove on them. Like, and West Ham made it look comfortable. We have to give West Ham their plaudits. I thought Ben Rama was fantastic. Um, Bowen, it's the first game that he's turned up in this year. <laughs> he got two goals. Um, and I think West Ham, there's definitely signs of improvement, maybe. But that well, is well I think I think it's not improvement. It's just been slightly less shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And compared to Everton. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, but... Sorry, Toffees fans, it's a little bit depressing there, but we didn't. You didn't need us to remind you about that, really. <laughs> you knew it already. Um, live, live, Inter have lost at home to Empoli. God damn, um, one nil. Um, that's um, that's actually a, a bit of a disaster for Inter. Really. That's terrible. That's absolutely <laughs> um, terrible. They have missed out on the opportunity to go above their Cross City rivals, who now have a game in hand on them and a point. Advantage Roma have pulled up level 37 points, both played 19 games. Inter, that is awful. God damn it. Um, they are gonna be angry in the San Siro right now, but we need to move on because we are kind of overrunning quite a bit. So we need to very quickly um let's go. Um, Holland, it turns out doesn't make Man City worse. Uh, in the most pointless the most pointless question of all time Haaland doesn't make Man City worse he scores a hat-trick it's like he never left uh, is anybody surprised by that? No I think for a couple of weeks uh, Manchester City forgot how to pass the ball to him yeah, I think for yeah. I think they got back for the World Cup and they were like oh yeah that's what we were doing beforehand just, just give it in just, yeah. lump it in, just lump it in the box put a through ball through Get him involved in the game and he will score a bucket to the goals. It is not rocket science. I think it goes against every grain of what Pep Guardiola mm-hmm. wants football to be. But at the end of the day, he's got the best strike, one of the best strikers in the world, arguably the best. Yeah, yeah. Use him. Use him in the way yeah, that he's meant yeah. to be used. And they did that. You know, De Bruyne 
Uh, Mares were putting in balls into a nice and quick first time. And they weren't really doing that, especially against Manchester United. They weren't mm. doing that. Um, mm. And if they keep doing that the rest of the season, he, he will score. He will finish the season with about 40 of Premier League goals. There's no... Well, he's now overtaken the top goal scorer for last season. Um, It is January. Uh, It's mental. (laughs) He has already overtaken the top scorer from last season. It's just frightening, isn't it? And before we go, we do need to very quickly talk about Adam. Do you want to take us through Matoma, our favourite guy? What a goal. Absolutely pins it top corner against Leicester, who show a bit of fight. Leicester. Yeah. Leicester, <laughs> are they going <laughs> to somehow get out of this? They're still right in it, but that is their first point in four or five games. Um, it, they, they came back twice. That's pretty impressive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think let's give their due to Leicester City. I think it was a surprising performance, bearing in mind the form that Brighton have been in. But Matoma, as you rightly allude to, great goal. And then even uh, Ferguson scoring here, which is an interesting name. Someone that's been plucked out of the lower leagues in uh, Ireland. So it'll be very interesting to see him for the benefit of the Republic of Ireland. Oh, if he God, can, can we really have a striker, please? <laughs> like, yeah. I've yeah, not had a striker for years, have you? Yeah, but if, uh, he turns out, if he turns out to be any good, you'll find an English grandmother. Yeah, that's it. He'll be on the, <laughs> Eklund will be on the phone already. Now, you don't want to join that lot, mate. You don't want to join that lot. Um, exactly. And yeah, else, good performance. Yeah, I think it's great to see him. Deserby absolutely getting tunes mm-hmm. out of that lad. And it is, I'm very, very excited about that. Um, and elsewhere... Just so many nil nils. Liverpool Chelsea was the most mid table oh, clash of all. Time. Oh my god! It was I, absolutely I, terrible. I, I, you know what? I watched that on Saturday afternoon, and I forgot it. I forgot I watched it. It was that bad. Oh god, it was terrible. Um, it, it it looked like two teams, especially with Liverpool. It really feels like they've got to the end of a cycle. Um, however. If we're going to talk about positives, Madrid looked really, really good on this day. That guy was frightening, eh? Like, he was the, frightening. In the 15, 20 minutes he came on, I mean, all right, he's up against James Milner, who's getting on a bit now, but he looked really, really good. And I think um, I think Gray Potter will be, gra- will be glad to have someone like him spend a week mm-hmm. or two getting settled in the squads. But it feels like both teams need a win. But for Gray Potter specifically, I think getting that draw against Liverpool, I think that's helped him a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right, it's not three points, but it's a good point. I think yeah. um, he certainly won't, he certainly would have come away with that, especially at Anfield. So, yeah. I think, I think it's um, a, yeah, it was a, it was a terrible match, which was the only bit of excitement was Mudrick coming <laughs> on. And it was through gritted teeth. I was like, oh, fuck, this guy looks really, really I think, good. I think Cody, he I looks think, really good. Oh, some of the misses on Liverpool, though, I think, Cody Gapko, I think he hasn't really hit the ground running. Um, yeah, yeah. Darwin Nunes, like the for keep... chaos for chaos alone is worth. The chaos is, is alone is great, but he's going to have to <laughs> score some goals at some point. Yeah, I like him. And elsewhere, we had nil um, nil Crystal Palace, Newcastle. Newcastle haven't conceded a goal in forever now. Um, their defence is a bit ridiculous. Um, Aston Villa, we have to say, Aston Villa getting a 1-0 win against Southampton. Emery, 
Um, this year, I think Aston Villa have the most points of all teams in the Premier League in 2023. He's having a really good start at Villa Park. Um, yes, Southampton aren't great, but still, that's a very good win on the road. And Leeds nil, Brentford nil. I watched this game and I was banging on about how great Leeds' attack is and how that's going to keep him in the league. And of course, none of them can hit a barn door with them all being on the pitch. Nyonto, Bamford and Rodrigo between them had so many chances and did the square root of sod all in front of goal. It was actually a more entertaining in terms of nil-nils. It wasn't the worst game. I kind of weirdly enjoyed it. I just like watching Ellen Road, I think. I like the atmosphere <laughs> at Ellen Road. But yeah, Leeds, they should have really won that. Brentford were proper clinging on at the end. Uh, just no cutting edge. And Bamford, I really thought he'd get the winner, you know, when he came on. But I think that is all of the Premier League. That's all of the Serie A. That's all of the football. We've slightly overran. I think the new runtime is going to be one hour 15, right? We seem to just be pushing <laughs> it every week. So announcement, new runtime, one hour 15. <laughs> um, we will see you on Friday, guys, um, where we will be talking about, is there midweek action this week? Someone better than me needs to see if there is. Um, I don't think there is this week, is there? No, there is. we've got a week off. We've got a midweek off, right? Uh, Premier yes. League, no midweek game. Serie A, um, no midweek games. Wow. We will be previewing the weekend in what feels like the first time for ages. We'll actually just be previewing mm. the weekend. Um, and we will see you on Friday. Guys, anything to say before we send these people home? No, great chat. No, it's good to chat. Yeah. And if you've got anything you want us to talk about on Friday, fire away. Yeah, actually, yeah. Jump in our DMs, tweet us, etc. That would be good. On at Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. We're on TikTok at Anglo Italian Pod. We're on LinkedIn. We're on YouTube. Like, subscribe, all them things. And we will see you on Friday. Let me find the button so this can be relatively smooth. Bye, guys. Ciao, ciao. Podcast Network.